If you're plagued by heartburn and don't know how to treat it, we're going to find out today from Dr. Patrick McCarty, general surgeon with Community Memorial Healthcare. He'll tell us about the reality of reflux and how to navigate heartburn and tell us about the treatment options. This is Wise and Well, presented by Community Memorial Healthcare. I'm Maggie McKay. Welcome, Dr. McCarty. It's so good to have you here. Thanks for making the time. Thank you. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Well, let's get right into it. Can you give us a brief overview of what heartburn and acid reflux are and how they differ from each other? Well, heartburn can be a normal physiological process. It's a passage of gastric contents and acid up into the esophagus. And everybody gets that from time to time. But when those symptoms become troublesome or bothersome, or you develop complications from heartburn, we call that gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD. And about one in five people in the United States have this problem. And oftentimes it's underdiagnosed and undertreated. And what are some of the common signs and symptoms for each? Because I have to tell you, I don't have heartburn often, but when I do, I always think I'm having a heart attack. It's not uncommon for people to think any sort of chest pain is, is heart-related, and it's not unwise to go get that looked at to make sure. But in general, it's a substernal burning pain or pressure that occurs often after eating foods, particularly foods that are more acidic in nature, like tomatoes or spicy foods. But it can also have more kind of indolent or unexpected symptoms, things like chronic cough or chronic nasal congestion trouble with swallowing, which we call dysphagia, or a problem that really gets underdiagnosed, which is called regurgitation, where food or acid comes up into the esophagus or mouth, particularly while sleeping or after meals. And what's the mechanism of GERD? So GERD occurs when there's a weakness at the lower esophageal sphincter valve, which connects the esophagus to the stomach. And when that valve gets weakened, that allows acid and stomach contents to go up into the esophagus. Commonly, that comes at the same time as what's called a hiatal hernia, which is where part of the stomach goes up above the diaphragm muscle. And that allows the acid to get up into the esophagus, leading to this problem. So it's a mechanical problem that requires oftentimes a mechanical solution with procedures or surgery. But in the short term, people can use medicines to treat the problem. And how big of a problem is GERD in the community? So as I mentioned, about one in five people in the United States suffer from GERD. There's over 20 million people in the country that are on medicines to help with this problem. But still, over 40% of people on medicines to treat GERD still have symptoms. And those were people that might benefit from intervention. Uh, Of people that have GERD, 10 to 15% of them will develop what's called Barrett's esophagus, which can develop into esophageal cancer. It can also lead to damage of the esophagus muscles, things like uh, esophagitis, ulcers, narrowing, and strictures. So it's a big problem that in the short term can be managed with medicines, but if left untreated over years, the problem often progresses. Dr. McCarty, what's one piece of advice you'd like to offer people who might be dealing with chronic heartburn or acid reflux symptoms? I think the biggest piece of advice I could offer is to see somebody that treats this problem regularly. Unfortunately, primary care doctors have to focus on other medical problems, high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, and often GERD and heartburn gets pushed to the bottom of the problem list and doesn't get addressed. 
So, you know, seeing a, a surgeon or a gastroenterologist that deals with this problem regularly is a good first step. They can take you through some of the treatment options and also evaluate the problem to make sure you haven't developed any complications from reflux. What's the difference between episodic versus chronic? Episodic can be normal. You know, everybody once in a while can have some heartburn after a a greasy fried fatty meal or after eating something spicy, but that isn't necessarily bothersome. But if as the problem progresses, then it becomes more common, more frequent. And that is more of a, a chronic GERD situation where the esophagitis can develop, which is ulcers of the esophagus. And those things can be difficult to treat without either medication or surgery. And how many months would you say in a row, if you have it, should you go see a doctor? What makes it chronic? Most people would say after three months, it's considered a chronic condition. So if you're dealing with uh, heartburn for that period of time, it's wise to ask your doctor about it. What about lifestyle changes or dietary adjustments that individuals can make to help manage or prevent heartburn and acid reflux? What can we do? This is often the first step that people take. Uh, They notice after eating certain meals that they they cause this heartburn. Uh, Alcohol is another thing that can cause it. And so most people, you know, first step is to avoid those foods. And that's a very reasonable first step. But I see people that have been avoiding tomatoes for 30 years or avoiding this and that for 30 years. And my heart goes out to them because I couldn't go a week without that, those sorts of things. So it's to the point where people realize or don't realize they've changed their whole lifestyle for sometimes decades when they could go and get the problem fixed and inv- or, you know, before that becomes a problem. Right. I can't imagine going without tomatoes, for instance, but I get it. But they could be getting medicine, right? So medicine is the mainstay of treatment. The first medicine introduced were what's called um, antacids. The most common one is calcium carbonate or Tums. There's other ones like bismuth and other over-the-counter medicines that can be helpful. But those act in the short term. And so for people that have episodic GERD once in a while, those are great options. For people that have more chronic GERD, they tend to use what's called an H2 blocker or a proton pump inhibitor. These medicines used to be available only uh, by prescription. Now many of them are available over the counter. For example, famotidine or uh, omeprazole, pentoprazole. And while these medicines often treat the symptoms, they don't treat the underlying problem. There's still acid getting up into the esophagus and it can still cause long-term damage, but the symptoms can be improved. So you mentioned a few over-the-counter, but what are some things people can do to deal with episodes of heartburn and acid reflux? So acutely, a lot of people will do home remedies, taking um, dairy products like milk or taking baking soda to help kind of counteract the medicine. A lot of people will have trouble at night and sleeping can be a problem. So they'll uh, sleep upright, propping their head up on pillows, or even some people can't sleep at all laying down and have to sleep upright in a lazy boy or a recliner. Wow. How long should someone do over-the-counter remedies versus seeing a physician? It's a difficult question to answer because all these people could be treated with prescription medicines or with procedural intervention. But my kind of rule of thumb is if you're having symptoms for a year or so, it's probably wise to get it looked at because there can be underlying problems like ulcers of the stomach and things that can be fixed before they become a bigger problem. 
Dr. McCarty, what happens if someone does not get medical advice or treatment for ongoing chronic, like you said, maybe more than three months of acid reflux or heartburn? What happens then? Well, that can lead to a chronic and progressive disease with persistent esophagitis, strictures or narrowing of the esophagus, and it can damage the muscles of the esophagus so that it doesn't transmit food from the mouth to the stomach. And this can lead to trouble eating in our later years and even require feeding tubes if the esophagus stops functioning completely. Uh, the other problem is that the inflammation can become chronic, which can increase the risk of esophageal cancer. Esophageal cancer has been increasing in incidence over the last couple of decades, and it is a very difficult problem to treat once it occurs. So really recommend you know, talking to your physicians earlier rather than later to prevent these long-term problems, which some of them cannot be reversed. What is that attributed to? Why do they think esophageal cancer is going up? That's a million-dollar question. I don't have the answer to that. We think that most of the risk factors for esophageal cancer have to do with diet. Smoking and alcohol are two of the most known risk factors. Also, eating foods high in nitrates like smoked uh, or processed meats can affect it. Some studies actually suggest that the medicines we use to treat GERD, like proton pump inhibitors, increase the risk of cancer, while other studies show that they don't increase the risk of cancer. There's no studies that show that proton pump inhibitors are protective against cancer. So unfortunately, the only thing we have to do to prevent cancer in patients that have developed Barrett's esophagus, for example, is to do surgery to fix the problem. And speaking of surgery, what are the long-term outcomes? The long-term outcomes are generally excellent for this problem. There are surgery that can fix the hiatal hernias, that can fix the lower esophageal sphincter valve. And generally, we look to have about 80 to 90% effectiveness out to 10 years. And what that means is that 80 to 90% of symptoms are resolved, and 80 to 90% of people are off uh, all heartburn medicines at 10 years. So for people with this problem, what kind of workup would be needed? So oftentimes, there's three tests that we get to evaluate every individual in their esophagus so that we can tailor the operation specifically to him or her. The first is what's called an upper GI or barium swallow, where patients drink some contrast, and it goes down the esophagus into the stomach and identifies the size and conformation of any hiatal hernia, or to see if there's any narrowing or strictures. The next test is what's called esophageal manometry, which is a pressure probe that goes down the nose into the esophagus and measures the contractility of the esophagus to make sure it's transmitting food appropriately to the stomach. And the third test is an upper endoscopy where we go and look at the stomach itself, look at the lower esophageal flap valve, rule out problems like ulcers or H. pylori infections, evaluate for Barrett's esophagus, and to plan for surgery. So once you figure out what to do after taking those tests, what are the treatment options for someone with chronic issues after they've done those workups? Most people with GERD have, had a, have a hiatal hernia, and that requires surgery to fix. It's usually done laparoscopically or robotically, meaning small incisions. And we bring the stomach back down below the diaphragm muscle and repair the diaphragm so that the stomach stays below the diaphragm. However, we still have to fix the lower esophageal sphincter valve, because that's another part of the GERD barrier. And we have three main approaches for that. The first is what's called a stomach wrap or fund application. 
And this is the classic way to fix the valve, where we wrap the top part of the stomach, also known as the fundus, around the esophagus to recreate the valve. The other two options are what's called the magnetic sphincter augmentation, also known as the Lynx device, L-I-N-X. And the third option is called transoral incisionless fund application, or TIF. And that's a device that goes down the mouth, and we use plastic fasteners to recreate the valve in a more natural way to allow patients to swallow without having side effects. Could you share a success story from a patient who maybe underwent one of the surgical interventions you discussed and the positive impact it had on their quality of life? I just saw a patient that had a uh, robotic hiatal hernia repair with a TIF procedure done, and he was ecstatic. The day of surgery, he noticed that his heartburn was resolved and he was able to lay flat. He was able to eat foods he hadn't eaten in decades, and he couldn't have been happier. He was off uh, all heartburn medicines after a couple of weeks uh, and was feeling great. And these are the type of stories that I wish I could share with everybody that suffers from this problem and doesn't realize that there are options for treatment because I just see how much it changes people's everyday life. That's got to be really rewarding when you get to see that. I mean, the day of surgery, he felt better. That's amazing. In closing, is there anything else you'd like to add that we didn't share? I think that the biggest takeaway is that GERD and heartburn are treatable, and you don't have to mask the symptoms with medicines for the rest of your life. Talk to your doctor, talk to a surgeon, and know that there are procedural options that can help you fix this problem. Thank you again so much for being here and making the time. This has been fascinating as well as educational. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's Dr. Patrick McCarty. And for more information, please visit mycmh.org slash findadoctor slash Patrick McCarty, MD. That's mycmh.org backslash find-a-doctor backslash Patrick-McCarty-MD. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and check out the full podcast library for topics of interest to you. I'm Maggie McKay. This is Wise and Well from Community Memorial Healthcare. Thank you for listening.